0: Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and I'm very excited to introduce former Ottawa Senators de- defenseman and TSN hockey analyst Mark Mathot to the show. Thanks so much, Meth, for, for taking the time and coming on. I, I really appreciate this, and I also appreciate the kind words you had on our friend's uh, Locked On Senators. Uh, so uh, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, Alex. It's my pleasure. You're giving me something to do today. Even my <laughs> wife was surprised I was doing a podcast. So Um, yeah, I'm fired up. And what you're doing is great. I think the more content, legitimate content we get here in this little Sens land that we live in, everybody benefits. So I'm all in.
0: Well, thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. And obviously uh, loved watching you uh, for the Sens. And we were talking a bit off show, even for Columbus as well, knowing you a little bit. So I want to ask you about that, your NHL career a little bit. What was the moment for you when you felt, oh, hey, I'm me mark thought is going to become an nhler
1: uh yeah i mean it stemmed at a young age i was never i was always very shy very quiet kid um kind of awkward even in junior i mean it was a late bloomer late hitting maturity so i always sort of had a sense of being overwhelmed um when i played especially in junior hockey my first year and even junior a here in ottawa like when i played for canada but um i think it really started to click for me Uh, my first year uh, with the London Knights. So I had a pretty good year in Canada, but I always just sort of undervalued what I brought to the table. I never thought I was ever as good as perhaps some people told me I was. And that was just maybe a lack of confidence and being a kind of a shy kid. I mean, my yearbook photos, I'm wearing system of a down shirt with braces, you know, like just awkward, lanky and tall. Uh, But no, I, I think as a 17 year old, my draft year, which was my first year in London Um, I think then and there, it was an opportunity for me to see where I stacked up against other defensemen. And we had Kyle Quincy at the time in, uh, in London and Danny Savred, who was a fantastic junior hockey player. And we had a really, a lot of good forwards too. And so um, I started gaining a lot of confidence throughout the year in practices, believe it or not, it was in practices where, you know, I was always sort of paying attention to other guys and thinking, I'm just as good as him, or I'm just as fast as that guy. And, and I think to finish my point, um, my D partner that year was Dennis Weidman, right? So we wow. had Dennis Weidman and I was playing with him on the top pairing most of the season. And um, I think mixing all those things together, I, I think I, I just eventually kind of figured it out and gained more confidence as the year went on and uh, ended up getting drafted in the sixth round that summer
0: and with that what was it like like obviously it took you a couple of years and you know in the, the AHL and and to make it to the NHL but what was that moment for you when you made the NHL what what were you thinking how nervous were you what was that experience yeah.
1: like i was i was well i mean out of this it was out of this world excited excited for, uh the first time i got called up obviously i mean that was really exciting but but i still knew at the time You know the confidence wasn't quite there, and I was, you know, was a young defenseman in the league, and it's hard to break through, especially at that time. I find uh, to get into the NHL, it was still very much more of an old boys club, a lot of older players on teams. Um, But I think we're my final year um, of my entry level deal. I still played in the American League quite a bit that year, but it was a very frustrating year for me because I felt like I belonged in the NHL. But it's all about opportunity, right? And um, you know, we have these conversations about current players in the NA, in, in the Sens lineup now, or we talk about growth when we're talking about guys like Branstrom and JBD and Lassie Thompson. And um, I know what they're going through because, you know, internally sometimes you may feel like you, you belong, but it's about what you do with those opportunities. Just by chance when a guy like Pierre Dorian or another uh, head scout might be in the, in the stands in Belleville watching you play, it's about seizing those opportunities. And then when you finally get the call up, playing really well at a high level when given that opportunity. And I feel like the biggest barrier for players uh, once you get to that pro level is, is just confidence, right? You hear it all the time. It probably gets exhausting for fans, but that's the difference between an American league guy and for the most part, and a lot of established NHL players, established NHL players. Yes, they have all the tools, but they also have the confidence and know and the know how that they belong. So uh, eventually when I got to that point around 23, 24, I was a much more confident man in myself. Uh, I was more assertive and I played like it, right. I was more physical, made the right plays. And I think that's what really helped me make that jump.
0: And, and with that, I, I want to ask a little bit, obviously you, you came back and played for the auto senators. What was that like when you found out that you were going to come back to the, your hometown team and, and yeah, how was that like?
1: Uh, it was wild because I can still remember being on the plane ride. I won't name the name of the scout, but uh, there was a scout that had gone overseas to watch the world championships. And that was right after my last season at the time I didn't know it was my last year, but with Columbus, that was my first world championship experience. And I can remember, you know, I had a very good tournament and then I was coming home and there was a sense scout on the plane and he introduced himself and came up and said hi. And I, I don't know how it came about, but I basically told him, hey, I'd love to play in Ottawa. You know? So <laughs> it was just sort of one of those things. And um, naturally, not a month later for free agency, I got a call from Brian Murray on on uh, July 1st. Wow. And that was a day that I just so happened to have a Canada Day party in my backyard. So the DJ was setting up. And, <laughs> and uh, I get a call like like 30 minutes before the party started, it was just a perfect day and it was wow. beautiful and getting traded to your hometown. It was, it was really special and really cool that Brian Murray was the one that made the phone call. So that was, that was cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And of course you had, a, you were here in Ottawa for many years, obviously many fans remember 2017. And, and I want to ask you a little bit about that. What was that like going on that run to the conference finals? And and in retrospect, how close did you feel you were to the cup that year? If you had been Pittsburgh played the Predators. Just tell us about that experience and and, yeah. and uh, that, the, that run. Well, as a
1: player, when you're in the moment, and it's so cool because I had this conversation with my wife the other night where we were watching uh, the Dallas game, the Dallas Vegas game. And I remember saying to her during the intro, I'm like, look, like everyone's watching this right now. You know, it's the only game tonight. It's the conference final. And I'm like, we were there. But in the moment when you were there, you you sort of lose sight of how big that moment is because you're so insulated with your group. You're sort of in this little bubble throughout the playoffs. And if you were like me at the time, like I did not pay attention to anything. Like I didn't watch the news. I didn't read any newspapers. I didn't really pay much attention to social media unless we went around and I posted some fun comment for the fans. Yeah. But, but you forget the magnitude in the moment, right? So um, looking back now, you know, I never was able to truly appreciate it at the time. And that's just part of the, the process. But um, I mean, knowing that looking back now and knowing we we're one goal away from that opportunity and could have, would have, should have, right. I mean, Pittsburgh won, uh, they deserved it and they go on and win anyway. So clearly, you know, they they were the right people for the job and they deserved all of that, but, but really neat experience. And, and we played in some great cities, man, like, you know, Boston, New York, those two alone for the first two rounds, was pretty freaking cool, and my memories are weird from that though. Like it's it's just snapshots for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I some guys have steel traps; they can remember all the little details. I think because I was such a high-stressed individual and I was so hyper-focused on not making mistakes that I I kind of kind of sucked the fun out of it for me. I don't remember that much. All I can remember was by round two being really beat down and worn down, and taking every opportunity to go outside and find a park. And just get some sun. Like, I just oh. remember thinking, okay, you're in your hotel room all the time. You're at the rink all the time. It's beautiful. Take advantage of the nice weather. And I feel like it gave me a huge advantage. Like, just, really? just getting that exposure and the vitamin D and all that, it was a big one for me. And then, of course, being on the road with the guys a lot, too. That was that was awesome. I mean, all the dinners and the team dinners. Um, I miss it big time.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And, and I want to ask you a little bit about, obviously, you played with Eric Carlson, and and you guys seem to have this great relationship off, off the ice. For you, when you were on that 2017 run, and, and just in general, how important was it to have that off-ice chemistry to make good on-ice chemistry with a D partner, especially like Eric Carlson?
1: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is, and this comes from reps and being around each other quite a bit, it's developing a chemistry where you're not afraid to, you know, confront each other if there's something on your mind that you want to adjust Um, certainly Eric was never a stranger of doing that. He was very vocal with me and, and I, I could get vocal with him, but, um, but I mean, what do you say? I mean, the guy, he was a, he's a generational talent. We've seen what he, what he he was able to accomplish this year alone, you know, five years removed from that run. So um, very special player, but for me, it was, yeah, it was just the ability that he and I had to communicate a lot and we were always transparent with each other. We were pretty close, but we also, we also respected each other's space. Like, you know, like, hanging out all the time after the rink I mean we were both established players you know at the time both of us had we weren't married yet but you know in long-term relationships kind of more more of the adult version of ourselves when we were in our younger 20s so um you know I think but when we came to the rink you know we would sit down we'd have breakfast together we would chat uh, but the one thing I can say about Eric is that he never took himself too seriously off the ice I mean mm-hmm. he was always so relaxed he was sort of the opposite of me in that Uh, You know, he could be in the lounge sipping on a coffee right up until game time. And then he'd go put his gear on, go and play or smash a couple hot dogs in Montreal, you know, before warm up, which he did not do, by the way, very often. But he was he was a lot more and that 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 reflects his game and and his style of play. Right. I mean, he wasn't afraid to take risks and he was an extremely confident player. He still is. And I think that really is the difference between like that sniper's high skill, high end skill mentality and the grunt worker's. That perhaps you know play the, the more role style game. So um, Eric definitely embodied all of that on and off the ice, and um, a fantastic teammate.
0: And uh, quickly, just to pivot because uh, when when people found out that I'd have you on the show, everyone was asking, ask him about his finger. How ask him about his finger? How often do people ask about your finger <laughs> in reference to the Crosby slash when you're here in Ottawa?
1: Yeah, I I, I and I know I play with it a lot online because it's probably the first thing that pops up if you search my name it's the Crosby slash never mind any of the hits or goals which were which were far and few but um no I mean it's it just comes with the territory right it was a big moment uh highly highly publicized moment I should say and it got a lot of attention uh my finger's fine though like it's 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 reattached it kind of looks more like a knob now it looks different from my other one but um, it's got a little bit of a bend to it too but it oh, you know yeah. what I, and I don't feel very much but it looks normal and it doesn't scare my kids so that's all <laughs> I care about um I I don't really ever think about it anymore uh, unless somebody brings it up like right now but uh yeah. it took a while man it took a while to get used to that like those first couple rounds especially the Boston series um after you know cuz this happened I think with a month left in is the, the regular yeah. season and then you know I had to play in the playoffs and those composite sticks and the vibrations and some of the worst pain I've ever had as a player, which is odd coming from a, such a small little no. uh, issue like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I have to live with. And just like every other issue, I've got a bad back, I've got a bad neck. Um, like most retired athletes that played in contact sports, it's stuff that you just have to manage for the rest of your life.
0: And when you were playing, what was, you can either talk about maybe your game day process or off season process, but what was your process like in terms of just being an elite athlete, give us an insight into what a day would look like as, as Mark Mathod in the NHL.
1: Well, none of that happens, uh, you know, without having, you know, good support from parents. You know, I've kind of veered off, but, um, you know, people talk about how expensive hockey is, which it is absurdly expensive. But, you know, the same applies to a lot of other sports. I played in Dallas. I saw a lot of the football guys and a lot of the young baseball players coming up at certain clinics. Everything is so specialized now. So obviously, aside from the money, I think the biggest thing for me was just, I had two very committed parents. I grew up in a middle-class home. My mm-hmm. mom was a nurse. My dad was a cop. We grew up in a bungalow, but, but I think the difference is that my my parents were completely committed to it, right? Not in a crazy way, but just as far as time goes and taking us to the rink and putting in the effort to make us practice our shot in the garage. So all those things, um, you know, people can throw checkbooks at, at their, at their kids, all they want at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a difference. Ultimately, it comes down to the kid, um, the individual, and if he has the drive, um, because you can't do it for them. And then you need very supportive parents that are completely committed to you. And and I'm, I'm the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I have a son now; he's five, and I'm starting to kind of get a taste of it. I'm seeing the dynamic with certain parents and how things yeah. can get. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I credit them a lot for that, and my dad because he was very my dad was strict. You know, he's a strict guy, but but he was fair. Uh, and, and I think that instilled a lot of my work ethic. And I think that was my strength was my work ethic. You know, I, I would never outskill anybody, but, uh, my skating was a big strength of mine. And so we did a lot of that. And I think I just nurtured that more as I got older and understood what I had as a player, I was able to roll with that a little bit more and I never needed parents to push me because I would push myself and that's just my mentality. And so that carried into my pro career and, uh, I never wavered from it. I always worked really hard in the off season. If there's one thing I could change or go back in time, it would probably be to adjust my diet because mm. people weren't weren't nearly as, 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 food conscience, as conscientious as they are now. Um, so that's a big one. And I think you're seeing a lot of the junior kids coming in now. They're a lot more aware of what they're reading. You know, we had an interview with Connor Bedard in Regina when I was doing a game there. And I mean, he is so disciplined yeah. with what he eats and he's a 16 year old, like, come on. So, <laughs> or 17, whatever he's yeah. at now. So that's a big one too. And I think the game's always evolving. Uh, and now, players, parents, everyone's looking for that edge, and it's very competitive.
0: Did you see a shift in like nutrition while you were playing? Like, did it feel maybe at the end of your career, or did it still feel kind of a bit more murky? Def,
1: great question, and and it's and and people would probably roll their eyes at this type of chatter, but it's such a it's such a critical thing for athletes, right? And it gives you such a huge advantage when you're putting good food in your body. And so, I would say. Yeah, like toward the end of my career, like definitely when I got to Dallas, even my last maybe year or two in Ottawa, you could see the shift. Guys were starting to have gluten-free pasta or they were eating less pasta or they were having brown rice instead of the pasta with their chicken or salmon. And that was for pregame meals. So um, it's hard to do it because the 82-game year is a grind and you get sick of eating the same foods every day. But I find the guys, the guys that really have a – uh, a, a, good, a great self-awareness of, of their diet and the food they put in their body typically give themselves more longevity during the season you see a lot less burning out uh their energy's up a lot more they're sleeping better and uh, as a result they're better players
0: yeah no, for sure and and obviously it to to go to wrap up your career obviously i want to ask a little bit about now you're in media of course and and what was that like for you to to go from playing all the time to being retired and what drew you to coming back in the sport and, and joining hockey media?
1: uh well I guess the last five or six years playing, uh, I'd always get a lot of comments from people just with regard. You know, you ever hear a player that's well spoken in an interview, and yeah. typically, you know, a media person will come online and be like, "Oh, that that man has a future in media," or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would get that occasionally, right? I'm not, I'm not by any means some silver-tongued politician per se, but I think my strength is that I'm willing to say whatever I'm thinking, right? And some people will disagree with me sometimes. Some people will will like what I say, but but I'll never I'll never bite my tongue, and I'll certainly, I think. I'm kind of all over the map. I think the the major thing here, the major adjustment for a player going into media is juggling um, the critiquing of other players. I think that was Mm -hmm. my, that was the toughest thing for me. It was I'm a year or two removed from hockey and I'm going to go online now and maybe say something critical of a player. I, I don't like doing that. It's hard. I'll do it occasionally, um, but ultimately, I think if you, if you plan on being taken seriously and if you have any integrity as a media related person, whether you're a broadcaster or a podcaster or a radio guy, you have to speak your mind. You need to have strong opinions um, and you can't you can't hold back. And if you do that, your content sucks and no yep. one's really going to take you seriously. Right. And uh, you know, on the flip side, you don't want to be some ma- some loud mouth blowhard that's just spewing nonsense because then people sort of tune you out as well. So there's a fine line there. Um, my 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 thing is I like to engage with fans. I think that's an important thing on social media. Um, it makes you a little bit more relatable and people can kind of reach out a little bit more. and I think I've I've tried to do that as best I can. The problem when you do that <laughs> and the problem when you stick your neck out is you get a lot of people that can see that you they perhaps can get a reaction from you. So you know, and you see it even with Subban, right? PK's yeah. a lot more outspoken now. Maybe there's a big hit he like from last week and he posts it. He took a little bit of flack for that. Right. So um you have to be willing to take it. I, I always laugh when I see certain people, certain media people, you know, maybe a, a little bit smaller of a platform, but start running their mouth on a topic and then they don't like the blowback. And you can just see the replies, the replies are shut off. tweets are protected. It's, it's hard. And uh, yeah. I'm telling you, you need to have thick skin in this line of work. uh If you're going to start spouting off strong opinion. So that would be my advice to players that are coming in, but Um, At the end of the day, I just enjoy it. It gets me involved with hockey. There was no job available. No one ever reached out to me to help the team or to work with the D or do anything like that. So I said, you know what, F it. I'm going to do this because at least I'm involved now. And uh, I love working for TSN. They're nothing, but nothing short of fantastic with me. I love doing the junior games. I know people, I got some comments, why are you doing junior games or this and that? And I'm thinking like, I love it. I love it. I don't, I don't do it for the money. It's something I enjoy doing. And until I'm told not to do it anymore, I'm going to keep doing it.
0: Well, I, I definitely, I know you've just started doing color, but I, I've always really enjoyed you doing the intermission hits. And I know you were with talking on Locked On Senators, how for you, the intermission hits are kind of pretty easy for the most part in terms of you get the, you prep and then you go give it two minutes, but you found the 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 color much harder. Maybe just tell us what that's like to do both and, and why you find it, it, it a bit harder to do color then uh, intermission hits other than the fact that one's two minutes and one's three hours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you get paid more to do color, um, okay. <laughs> you know, but it's nothing significant, I guess I should say, but, but uh, it's, it's just different. You know, like if you're a chatty guy and you've got these anecdotes, you always want to chime in with, and you've got lots to say, and then color is where you want to be. Um, the intermission stuff uh, for me, is great. Uh, it's given me a lot of great exposure, but more importantly, I just enjoy it. Uh, but, but at the same time, you're having to compress your thoughts into these perfectly. Well, I, not in my case, they're by no means perfect, but into Whoa. these somewhat polished um, little segments, right? These quick hits. Um, so you don't have time to do this and go back and forth and maybe readjust a thought. You have to get your point across in a very efficient manner uh, and try to sync it with the video and it's live that's the kicker, right? You're on live television and it's a broadcast that quite a few people are watching on television. And um, you know, you you one slip and that thing's cut up and posted and you're done or, or just heavily criticized because they might just disagree with what you said. So um, they're both very difficult. I would say uh, a lot more pressure with the analyst work, the panel work uh, because you can look very stupid very quickly if you're not careful. Mm. Whereas, you know, color commentary, that type of stuff, Um, podcasts, radio stuff, Um, you know, you can chat, you can get through it. And it's, there's a little bit less, less pressure to, to finish your point. So I like both. Do I think I'm ready to do NHL games? Maybe. Uh, I don't think I'm there yet. Um, You know, these guys are fully committed. I mean, they're watching so much hockey every night. Um, You know, and I I love watching hockey. Do I want to sit there and watch three different games on three different screens every night? Maybe not. So I'm sort of in a weird spot where I don't really quite know what I want to do, but I'm enjoying what I currently am doing and I'm going to keep doing it until something else pops up.
0: I have a quick question about the intermission hits in terms of, do you write like you, let's say you watch the first period, it's whatever the score is, something happened. Do you write stuff down? Is it pre-prepared? Is it like, how do you? Yeah.
1: That might be, that might be the best question yet because I don't think anybody has any idea how it works. And it's funny because it's, it's a lot less intricate than you think, at least for me. So you've got the truck. So if I'm at the Sens game, there's a truck parked at the loading dock and it's like right. a, a trailer type of thing yeah. that has a million screens, producers are in there, guys cutting videos, whatever. That's a, And the that's, where they, that's the guts of the operation. And I'm up and I've got a headpiece, an earpiece in. And yeah, so the first period starts and right away, either on my phone or on my mic that's sitting beside me at the table as I'm watching the game, if I see a trend, It's all about trends, unless there's goals, which we pray for as analysts, (laughs) because then you can just break down a goal. It's super easy. Otherwise, you're looking for a trend. Okay. So this, the team's been struggling a little bit on their zone exits. So I'm going to pay attention to the zone exits tonight. And then maybe the first period starts in the first 10 minutes. I'm not really seeing very much. Like there hasn't really been anything significant. Now you're kind of screwed. And the problem is you have to try to relay all this information to your producer with a, at least within those first 15 minutes wow. because when there's 5 minutes left in the game or that period I should say it's kind of late already so a lot of significant stuff that happens at the end of periods typically don't get talked about in the intermission because there's no time to prep any of that information so ideally like those first 10 minutes of each period are critical um and you're looking for something to talk about and then you got to tell the guy in the truck that's cutting the clips up And make sure that it has a little bit of substance to it. And then usually you're looking for more than one topic. So maybe zone exits coupled with a bad penalty kill or a power play. So it's challenging. And then when you're talking on camera, maybe you're a little long-winded. Someone's talking in your ear at the same time. Come on, Meth, wrap it up 10 seconds. And I'm still in the middle of my point. So then I got to wrap that up. And I'm not like, you know, I don't have a a, a post-secondary um, you know, like degree in, in broadcasting or yeah. anything. So I just kind of did this, you know, I was thrown in the fire. And um, anyway, I, I guess this is getting a little long. But in the end, um, it, it, it's, 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 it seems kind of complicated sometimes, but it's really quite simple. And it's never as deep as people think. And again, when you're watching a game, they're live, and you're having to relay all this information. We as broadcasters will miss stuff. So sometimes, you know, when you're watching it at home, and you're thinking, well, why aren't they – effing talking about that one play it's because there's so much going on it's hard to cover everything and you have to it's and it's got to be made for television you need the right clips and and all that so anyway it's challenging but I really enjoy it
0: what happens if there's a big goal with like four seconds left like so that's
1: easier because they can squeeze that in quickly it's a quick clip there's no breakdown it's just a replay and they're going to probably impose that in there at some point but even then oftentimes those goals that happen late in games if they're not all that's significant to the overall score. Like if it's a an insurance yeah. marker in the second yeah. period, maybe right. we omit it and we don't talk about it. So it's uh, it's it's interesting. It, people would be surprised how ridiculous it can get up there. Sometimes, yeah,
0: yeah. no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, before I go to the sen- sends, I just want to ask you a quick question: If you were the NHL commissioner for one day, what rule would you change?
1: Oh, <laughs> oh man, um, the. Del- I don't like those late offside reviews um, when, you know, the play's been going for 45 seconds and it might be a fraction, you know, or maybe a few inches of escape blade just off. And then you can still overturn that goal. I, I, that, I know people have presented to me plenty of great arguments defending those calls. And I understand that too. Um, I'm sure there's something else. There was something else that I was having a conversation with with Victor Finley, the PXP guy that I was doing the OHL games. We had a debate like this. and I'm trying to remember another rule change I'd like to see. Uh, You know what? No, this is the one that I'll say. I wish they enforced those bullshit um, instigators that they never just seemingly call anymore. So when there's when there's a really clean hit. Exactly. And someone's going to jump another player like like the obvious one. It's one thing when you chase a guy down, but he's turned around, his gloves are already chopped and he's ready for you. But it's the big hits when a guy clearly doesn't want to fight after he laid out a clear and it's a clean hit. And then some odd, some player feels compelled to jump that player to demonstrate that he's very tough and he's (laughs) here to defend his teammate. I'm like, I'm sick of that. And I, I feel like, and it's been called on me a few times earlier in my career. They need to be on point with those instigator calls. And I think it'll, It'll really kind of turn away a lot of the nonsense that we're seeing right now. So maybe the delay offside is one thing, but I'd really like to see them actually call those instigator penalties. As
0: as an NHL fan, I think I'd like them just to actually call stuff more often <laughs> <like> <laughs> I, overall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I that's my thing, but I agree. And and it's funny uh, with um, the offside that I've asked a lot of people, and that is tends to be what they they say is the offside. Okay, well, there you so go. That's so cool. I think I think maybe a uh, Batman or whoever can maybe change that. So I want to go to the Sens. Obviously the team, you you know, you know, inside and out, how would you evaluate last season? Was it successful? What were your thoughts on last season?
1: It, It doesn't need to be that deep, right? We, we had them, we had them slotted in. I think most people would have considered a successful year finishing just outside looking in. I said that all the time last year, I said, I want to see this team fighting for a playoff spot until the end of the year. Right. We've heard it ad nauseum, everyone's talking yeah. about it. Um, so I mean, they achieved it. They and I know once you get into that conversation, then as a fan, or even myself, it leaves you wanting more, right? Like, so even if you did just fall short, you're still not satisfied. And then you start coming up with these arguments that, well, had they done this in November or this in December, or traded this guy or not done this, you know, you start kind of reaching a little bit. Um, I think, I think as a fan. You know, find that positivity and that you know they finished exactly where most of us wanted them to. Right, fighting for a playoff spot, having a competitive year. You weren't out of it in the at the beginning of March uh, or at the end of February, like you were still in the in the chat. So, um, I think to me, overall, it was mostly successful. And um, I love some of the moves that Pierre made. I love bringing in Chikrin. Uh, You know, the Giroux move was huge. Oh. Um, so, so you, the. There's a lot to like there. I don't fault anybody for goaltending because I think if anything, now when we're seeing it in the postseason, what an unpredictable yeah. job, right? I mean, <laughs> as a position, if you're looking for a goaltender out there, it is so freaking unpredictable. It's a it's a tough thing to do, and I'm not going to sit here and uh, pretend that I know all the answers, especially when it comes to goaltending. So that's not my area, but I I do think they're they're poised. No. I think they're I think they're okay right now where they are. I think they're they're with the one two punch they have, at the moment. I would be content with that to start the season. I don't want to see them force anything, but I think I guess to, to close up my point, it all comes down to what happens with DeBrinket, right? So Yeah. yeah. If if Alex DeBrinket moves on, um, and I love how we have we you know you can argue about contracts and the salary cap and how are they going to squeeze that contract in there. I don't think it's the end of the world if he moves on. I, I would I don't like getting rid of a 30 goal score potential 40 goal score that's just criminal and you don't want to keep those guys but it's a big contract. Uh, there's a lot of money locked up right now up front and with Norris coming back in which will fill that void a little bit assuming he stays healthy. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think I think you can move on and I I have this weird gut feeling that Pierre is just waiting for Alex to break it to make that first move and say listen that way Pierre's hands are clean. He doesn't have to be the bad guy shipping him out, uh, which I don't blame Pierre for. So I think for me, we'll see here. I know it's going to happen in the next week or two. We're going to probably get some answers come well over the next month, I should say, and get a better indication of where we're at with him. But if they do move on from him, then that opens the door a little bit. And maybe, maybe there's an opportunity there to go after a top goaltender or another player in your tops or your bottom six, who knows. But for now, I don't think the team can do a whole lot until they figure out what's, with what's going on with the
0: Do you think like, I know I actually Ross, uh, our friend, I think he said that per source that they'll know in the next 10 days about DeBrinket. So we'll, we'll see. Well,
1: I wonder what his source was. I, maybe, it's, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's
0: the same as Martians. Who knows? But uh, uh, yeah. uh, with that, do you think like watching the playoffs, seeing these teams, because I think to myself with the Brinkett, you sign them to this big contract. You won't have the same depth. Like, do you think the f- team itself, if they were to make it have more depth with that cap space is better than maybe being as top heavy like the Leafs or another team like that?
1: Oh, I struggle with this one because I don't like comparing to the Leafs or Edmonton yeah. because, you know, they're they're more like a two or three trick pony uh, with respect to all the other players compared to Ottawa. You know, Ottawa's just built different. And what I like about Ottawa is that it, they've kept the core intact you know, like this, this is a group that, you know, they haven't had to go out and bring in all these random free agents. These are guys that are, that are growing into this organization together. And that alone is a huge strength for the senators. Right. Um, Because I can't, I can't tell you how big of an advantage it it is to have guys that you've already kind of gone to battle with shoulder to shoulder through those tough times. Um, Now you're always going to need good influences, good veterans here and there sprinkled in. But um, yeah, I think with, with that contract, I worry that it handcuffs the team a little bit with their depth, as you just mentioned, Alex, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, Vegas is an exception right now because being 11 million over the cap in the postseason, we all know what they did Mark there. Some, a little yeah. manipulation maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but, I know. <laughs> um, but, but you look at some of these teams and the depth, even Carolina, I know it was disappointing for them, but these are some good teams that are just deep, top to bottom. But I think more importantly, and I still believe this, you're not going to win a Stanley cup unless you have a legit decor. It's a mixture obviously of goaltending in your defense. You need both. Um, but, but what I'm seeing now with a lot of these teams like, and, and Ottawa is on their way there. That's not me trying to criticize Ottawa. I think I do think they're on their way there. I don't think they're there yet, but I think that's just going to come in time. I don't think this upcoming season is their year. I think they should be in the playoffs. I don't think that anybody has them pegged for winning the Stanley Cup. So I'm not really worried about maybe adding another piece down the road when the time comes. You know, if if you know you're approaching a season where you have a legitimate shot at winning Stanley Cup and being in that conversation, then you pay a little extra. You get that free agent. He might be overpaid a little bit, but he'll be in your top four on the back end or your bottom six up front, and it gives you that depth. So for me, I'm okay with the status quo right now. And then depending on what happens with DeBrinckit, maybe you make a couple extra moves there too.
0: I cuz I wanted to ask you about the defense and you alluded to them right now what what do you make of the decor right now and you said they might be missing something what do you think they more sandpaper bigger size like Yeah I,
1: uh, and and I don't it's it's there's a fine line because you you want you want a guy that can move the puck and so if I'm going to say well you need a uh, you need a, a rangy guy like a lot of the Carolina defensemen just as an example that can still move the puck well well, now you're talking a $5 million player, right? So it's, you know, and that's where scouting comes in, you know, finding those gems. New Jersey did it. They brought in a couple of random players that we passed out on, passed up on, I should say. Um, you know, Marino was one, one wow. example of a guy that, but and I'm not faulting Ottawa. There's plenty of teams that are. They got chickens in. So yeah, but, exactly. And Ottawa's in a great spot now, but I still worry about there's there, there's not a whole lot of deterrence back there. Uh, there's not a whole lot of guys that can just impose themselves a little bit. Uh, Maybe one guy, I'd love to see it on the third pairing. It's not there yet. And it's certainly not available right now. Not that I'm aware of. I'll have to see an uh, an updated free agents list, Uh, but I just don't see it. I don't see it at the moment. And I think that's going to change as this team grows more. Um, But for now, I'm pretty happy with the top four and however you want to pair them. I don't really care, you know, okay. do what you got to do. I mean, Hasekilin's a left-handed shot playing on the right side with Dallas. So, I'm not going to get too caught up in the whole left-handed, right-handed natural side argument. I think as long as you've got some competent guys back there that understand the game well, which they have, then you're okay. Cuz now you can lean on your top four more and, you know, limit the amount of minutes on the back end. But that that's my final argument here. My 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 worry is a player like Eric or um Anybody else that's used to playing top four minutes at their best, now having to kind of li- playing more limited ice time, sometimes that can really affect your game. We'll see what that does with Eric Branstrom. I think he's going to be okay because he's a smart player and he's been through the ringer up and ups and downs that I feel like he's battle-hardened now and he can probably take more uh, of, of those different roles. Um, I just worry come playoff time. It, it's a heavier game. I mean, yeah, there's I no denying that. We're watching the freaking games on TV. I mean, everyone sees it. I worry about what that looks like in a bottom pairing role playing against some of those heavy lines, but I could be proven wrong. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit because I love his mindset. I love his drive. I just, I'm not sold on him playing on the third pairing. I'd like to see him play in the top four, but we'll see what happens. And I know every time I bring this up, everyone gets angry. Everyone has their, their one-liner comments. Oh, we're back into the Branstrom portion of debate this season. I know people get exhausted but if I'm structuring a Stanley Cup playoff team, um, there are some little things that I would probably tinker.
0: And and with that, I want to ask you a little bit about, who, in your mind, who's the best defenseman on this team next year? Like, is it? I've loved Sanderson. Uh, I think Chikrin, I think will be really interesting to watch. Obviously, Shabbat had a bad year for his standards, but he's still super talented. Like, who's the best defenseman in your mind next year?
1: Well, I love Shabby, and I'm 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 not friends with him per se, but, but I've had a lot of interactions with him and he's a great dude. And we get along really well because he was around when I was finishing up my time in Ottawa, he was watching and he was around the room all the time. Great man, great guy. And everybody, like when I see people giving him a hard time, I just kind of wince a little bit because I know, I know his character and he's a, he's a legit leader. I want him to have a big year. Do I think he's your best defenseman? Probably not. Right. I, I I'd have to give it to Sanderson only because I feel like Sandy's just a little bit more dynamic. I think he's got a quicker couple's first steps. And that alone allows him to defend a little bit better. And then, you know, for Shabby, it's hard because, you know, he's he plays a ton of minutes. And when you're playing all those minutes on the power plate and you're getting all that ice time, it can be hard to to play a balanced game in your own end as well. So it's easy for me to say, well, his defense, his defense isn't that great right now. And I thought he struggled. It's not fair for me to say that. That's all I focused on when I played. So I think right now one guy that stands out, like most, uh, like most people feel like, is probably Sanderson. Uh, Just so dynamic, and I was so impressed with his ability to make plays under pressure. Uh, Very good one-on-one, very good instincts. Um, And I think if he can round out his game at the offensive end, where he's even more of a weapon, and his shot gets better, his shot selection will get better. You're going to see him get more points because he's already really good laterally on the blue line with those little spinorama backhand oh, moves he does and those passes. Yeah. So I think once that rounds out and you start seeing more offensive contributions, I mean, he's going to be an all-star hard to argue with that.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to go to, to Tim Stutzler, obviously had a, such a breakout year this year. What the you, what did you see in his game to take him to that next level? And and maybe what do you think his ceiling is stealing this?
1: Well, you know for a european player he's got a lot of character so i'll say that um (laughs) i i I, I loved it too i and i'm just chirping here i'm just joking but yeah yeah, i just i love the backlash should he have said it probably not but i don't think he meant it that way it is what it is but i know what he meant like as a young european dude coming from another country with a language barrier coming in he had an immediate impact he played with a chip on his shoulder um, you know he's he's loud he's 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 got flair to his game and I think probably that's what Pierre meant I, I just I mean seeing him evolve and I think you know as, as most people probably noticed the transition to center that really opened everything up for him then you then you know the chains were taken off and he was able to pr- pretty well free wheel all over the ice and you're seeing the creativity and the way he reads plays and the skill set and um the dynamic play that he brings to the table the bite in his game giving a player a a two-hander after he may be a late hit I mean I love that I love that stuff so he might be one of my favorite plays probably my favorite player to watch right now Um, I had Batherson that was my guy going into the year but I thought Drake had some ups and downs this year and he, he maybe not where his game needed to be I'm sure we'll see a step forward again for him next year but yeah with Timmy I mean man The chemistry that he has with Brady. And I think Brady for me is the X factor for Timmy. I don't think Timmy has the same type of game if he isn't playing with Brady Kachuk. Mm. I think Brady allows Timmy to freewheel and do what he wants and play with confidence because he knows he's got Brady there. And Brady's a great player. I mean, people forget Brady can play tough, he's imposing, but he's a smart player and he makes great plays. He's got sneaky good skill. Um, so I think that's been a huge uh, huge advantage then obviously having Giroux coming and going and and whoever else on the flank um, has really helped them all out so I love where his game's at Timmy's going to be a perennial all-star um, and and probably uh, the team's highest point guy moving forward
0: yeah yeah I know for sure and I want to go to next year a little bit You you said obviously the expectation should be playoffs like do you think that like what's the the big holes other than I guess maybe goaltending you see for next year and and if they weren't to make the playoffs is that just a complete maybe not disaster but just a really big uh, shot in the foot?
1: Well, people should hold this team to a high standard next season. People should expect them to make the postseason. People should have every right to be upset if they don't make it because that's you know like the reality is it's like okay now's the time like if you're looking at the timeline. With the core and all the signings, um, and I and again, again, not a shot at the team. I think the team is is poised to make the playoffs, but I think fans have every right now to be like, okay, you know, we we've been patient. Uh, I'm going to be very upset if you don't if we don't make it this year. And I think I can understand that. And I think as far as holes go, I think just being healthy. You know, we can we can we can galaxy brain all this stuff all we want. Talk about a right handed shot on your second pairing on D or maybe this or that, or maybe the goaltending was better in this month, which perhaps I would agree with as far as the goaltending goes. But I think ultimately if this group is healthy and you don't have any major injuries, um, I don't see how it doesn't make the playoffs. I mean, this team is, is going to do it. So, you know, just taking care of yourself. Hopefully all these ki- these guys are going to take advantage of that long summer, which is what you would expect from a, from a team. I think from a team's perspective, it's no nonsense now. Like, Commit yourself this summer. I'm sure I'm sure Brady's already had this conversation with everybody. Guys, like, no bullshit here. We need everybody working that much harder this summer. I want you guys to be disciplined. Come to camp in great shape. Make sure you're skating lots in July and in August. Be prepared. Um, and I think if they do that and you get everybody on board, like the buy-in is there from everybody, I don't think having a hot start or having a bad start will even be in the conversation. I think the team will just be more consistent Okay, maybe they lose their first game, but they'll probably win the next three. You know, so yeah. that's what I want to see out of this group is more consistency. But I think that comes from more buy-in in the summer, and then of course, you know, knock on wood, this team is just going to be healthier this year.
0: And uh, how sick are you of the the send sale right now? And <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, you know what? I uh, I stopped getting involved with it. I think a lot of people are sick. At the same time, I can understand the frustration. So everyone's entitled to speak their mind and get angry. I mean, that's what social media is all about. It's, I think, more now a place where people just vent their frustrations. But but no, I I do think, um, you know, we're there. We're we're finally there. Would would it ideally be better if we were there last week or the week before? Yes. But if for anybody out there who's been lucky enough to buy a home and understand the red tape involved just buying a house, um, now, you know, move that to a a billion dollar uh, sports franchise and all the the red tape that follows and all the lawyering and, and whatnot, and then bidding with other teams. It's a process. It's long. Uh, Unfortunately it's, it's happening at a time now where people are so excited about next year. You know, this isn't something that went on three years ago when the team was struggling and was likely to struggle again the following season. So I think people you know, have a natural inclination to get upset at the moment because understandably so we're, we have expectations and unless ownership is in place, then the organization can't take the steps moving forward this off season to make the team better. Right. That's But I think the team is in good hands for the most part here. You know, Pierre's a great scout. He's got a good eye for for players and uh, they still have all their staff in place. So I think, you know, just stay calm, stay cool. It's going to get done. Um, I think for me, more importantly, I just want to see what happens with the land deal. And if the team actually does move there, I think for me, I'm not really worried about the hockey operations uh, because this, you have a veteran group in there right now that knows what they're doing. I think for me, it's more, is this team going to move? And if they do move, you know, does the NCC finally get out of the way and let them just do it? Or, you know, so there's a lot going on. What's the site that they're going to use until that all gets settled. I think fans are going to continue to be, you know, hysterical about it. And um, I think you can you you can count on that to continue on here for the next week or two.
0: How important would you would you say uh, a downtown arena of some sort wouldn't like if it's Lebreton if it's apparently there might be at Sandy Hill Arena so that would be great yeah. for me in me Sandy. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but uh, how important would that be for the city in your mind and and the team itself?
1: Yeah, and I've gone back and forth on this because. Um, you know, you go down to Lebreton, for example, it's like you're pretty far from the highway and like and I'm only this is only based off my own experiences playing. Mm-hmm. you know when I played in Dallas, when I played in Columbus, there was a stretch of highway right there, like almost touching the rink. Mm-hmm. Not all NHL rinks are built that way. Uh, but you know, you're always going to worry about the infrastructure and and coming and going and I know a lot of people are all talking about the LRT and public transportation. listen, most people that are going to the hockey games in January and February are going to drive there. Great for those who are taking LRT. I'm a big promoter of that. It's been an absolute disaster. But, yeah. but the more people that can funnel in taking public transport is great because then that allows everyone driving in more time and space, less uh, congestion, less time spent in a parking lot, whatever you whatever it may be. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a city planner and I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the logistics and the business involved. But for me, it's like, I think we can all agree that the team should move somewhere closer to the core because then you're, you know, you're, 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 you're siphoning in all the people from the East end, from Gatineau, from Orleans. So, um, you know, people from Canada, like I, I listen, I'm going to be moving out there. Like I'm moving an oh hour west of Ottawa, like oh. an hour, so half an hour from Canada. It is in my best interest <laughs> to, if the team stays in Canada. But yes. I'm still gonna sit here and tell you, based off of my playing experience, moving the team downtown benefits so many people. All those struggling businesses down there that have no more government workers working downtown, they're hurting. You yes. bring in a rink down there, you build up a nice area, it drives more business in those in those areas. I think that's great. I don't have again, I'm not I'm not a college graduate. So people can not take my advice here as, as gospel, but I yeah. do think it, it benefits a lot of people. And I, I'm excited, you know, with the idea that they may build a world class facility. Mm-hmm. That's cool.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I I I uh look forward to not leaving early with in a four-one game just so I get home before that's what
1: I mean. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: That's that's the thing. And I already got bit. In the ass when I left early for the Calgary game this year, and it wasn't even my idea, but hey, that that <laughs> that, that happens. So, um, before yeah. I let you go, I just want to ask a little bit about the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. Obviously, the finals today. I know, I think you said you like Vegas, but maybe just break down a little bit quickly um, that series and who you like and why.
1: Uh, well, yeah, it's funny. I had Vegas right from the get-go, uh, so wow. I'm gonna pat myself on the back there. Yeah. I had them. I had them going to the final at the very least. Um, They were my dark horse. I believe I said it on the Locked On podcast. So if anyone's trying to fact check me. But I just love their makeup. You know, Now, it's an unfair makeup. But, I mean, if you're looking at that group between their goaltending, their back end, and then the depth they have up front, it's like, what's not to like? And you saw the work they did with Dallas in game six. I mean, it wasn't even close. So they put on a clinic, and they deserve to be where they are now. Um, I still think that team – I love Florida. Uh, I've – My last interaction with Matthew Kachuk was my my last game in Calgary with Dallas. He he slew footed me behind our net with like seconds to go in the game. And I chased him and I grabbed him by his hair after I ripped his helmet off. And I tried feeding him a couple and then I got kicked out and then he got kicked out. But I mean, mission accomplished for him. Uh, He sucked me in. So, but, but it's funny. So the reason why I'm saying this is despite me despising him at the time, he's turned me into such a huge fan. I mean, that guy's a gamer. And he's a he's a media darling. Uh we saw the work he did on that panel with the TNT yeah. guys with Shaq yeah. and Barkley. Yeah, it was great. I think he was so, wearing his
0: own shirt too or something. He yeah. was wearing his
1: own shirt. Yeah. And between that and Bobrovsky and you know their back end, I I I'm a fan. So I love Goudis, I love Montour, Forsling. Um, I love their I love their decor. Uh, but I think Vegas is gonna overwhelm them. And I do think, you know, I you could probably say Vegas in five but I'm going to give them a, I'm going to give Florida the benefit and give, this is the, this, this is the first time I'm even making this public. I'll say Vegas and six. I, okay. uh, I just, I think they're going to be too much and, and they're too deep. They've got too many scoring threats and they're too strong on the back end. And if they've got some stellar goaltending right now, which they have been getting, they're going to be tough to beat.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you. You coming on the podcast. This was really cool for me just as, you know, a lifelong Sens fan. So I really appreciate this. And, I want to give you the floors or anything coming up. I guess you can plug locked on senators as well, our friends or anything (laughs) at TSN that you're working on that you want to kind of give a shout.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I appreciate you having me on Alex. It's, it's, it's great. I love what you're doing. Um, Yeah. I I think for me, for me, it's just looking forward to the fall, you know, I'm like everybody else out there, all you people listening. I just want the season to start. So I get back to work and watch the games, but for now I'm going to enjoy my off season. Uh, I'm going to focus on my kids and uh the hockey with my son jack and hmm. try to get him at a level where um you know i'm not rolling my eyes every time because he's still <laughs> very young yeah. and so that's a challenge being a former player trying to get your kids to play you expect them to figure it out right away it does not work that way so patience will be a virtue for me but uh, no, i'm going to enjoy the summer a lot of fishing uh we're building a new home we're breaking ground hopefully in the next week or two congrats um and uh that's it
0: awesome well uh good luck with your house i'll definitely uh uh, also definitely, uh, looking forward to, to maybe swinging by at uh, the TSN studio when I go to maybe 10 or 15 games next year and saying hi. And, uh, thanks so much meth for, for doing this. I really appreciate it and, uh, have a great summer.
1: Sounds good. Thanks brother.